Here is your friendly reminder that this episode is not suitable for the ears of halflings. From WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 190, all about Board of the Rings, being the 190th part of That's What I'm Tolkien About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I am essentially done with experiencing the world of Tolkien for the first time, or at least as far as I want to go. And now I am reading Board of the Rings, so you don't have to. Today, I'm joined by Josh of Super Scary. Welcome, Josh. Hello, Mary Clay. Thank you for having me. I mean, this is, I've been listening uh, the last couple months. So it's kind of like, you know, it's like, I feel like I know you, even though I don't (laughs) know you all that well personally. (laughs) I know we've, yeah, we've, uh, yeah, we all kind of like got recently connected in the past, yeah, in the past few months, like IRL and I was like through Christina Khan, of course, who else? Of course. And yeah, it's been super fun um and then listeners i will be on super scary coming up in a few weeks um let me let me think this episode is coming out on tuesday so i think it'll be like the following week is when uh you announce that that episode is going to come out and we're going to talk about one of like my favorite series of all time the haunting of hill house i'm trying to think i'm pretty sure that show had just come out as I was starting the podcast or something. And so like, uh, like every now and then I would like speckle in like recommendations for it and be like, everyone has to watch this show. It's so hauntingly beautiful. <laughs> so um, I'm excited to talk about it with Josh. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It's my first time watching. So uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm di- I've been dying to ask you questions because you messaged me earlier that you had started watching it. And I've been dying to ask you questions, but I'm like, no, I'm going to save it. Yeah. Save all of it. <laughs> awesome. Um, but today we are talking, we are continuing and finishing uh, our quote unquote discussion, if you want to call that. <laughs> like we're it's not like we're having like intelligent, you know, literary conversations here about Board of the Rings. Uh again, another reminder. Uh this will be the last episode with this reminder, but this is not suitable for young children. So if you're the kind of person who puts this on in the carpool lane, uh maybe don't. Maybe wait until the kids are <laughs> dropped off and then you can press play right and you know come back to this before we dive into it josh what is your history like with tolkien and lord of the rings how did you first get introduced to it i would probably say the movies uh because i i think the first one came out in like 2001 right something like that Mm -hmm. um so i feel like it was the easy thing to kind of put as a placeholder in between uh, Star Wars movies that came out, because I I feel like one year would be Star Wars, and then the next year would be Lord of the Rings. So um, that's kind of how I was exposed to it. And then um, I was in high school in like 2007. So I think I read at least Fellowship of the Ring in high school. But I remember being like, oh my god, what am I reading? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, that's a valid reaction. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so I think I at least got through Fellowship of the Ring. And then I was like, well, (laughs) 
there's movies I can go I can go back to those but um but yeah I think I think I at least got through those um I haven't really dived into the Hobbit too much um and otherwise I don't really know much about Tolkien to be honest <laughs> that's cool you have a general understanding of Lord of the Rings and an interest in it. And that's all that's required to come on this podcast. (laughs) Terrific. (laughs) Yes. Um, I will, however, I will recommend reading The Hobbit because it is a much more enjoyable book. Oh, okay. uh, Good. Than Lord of the Rings. (laughs) The Hobbit is much more like a fun, like, kids bedtime story. And like, it's very... um, I don't know, like lighthearted and friendly and it's a quick read. So um, if I mean, and that goes for for anyone listening to if you've ever been like, I could never read Tolkien, um, give The Hobbit a try. And if, you know, if that's all you read, that's cool, too. I mean, and obviously you don't have to read them to become a fan because the movies are a thing in and of themselves as well. So uh, we all enjoy Tolkien in different ways, um, especially this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I listened to the last couple episodes and it's been a trip so far. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a trip is an excellent word for this book, both like in terms of, you know, we know our old friend Tim Benzadrino <laughs> takes the boggies on an acid trip, you know, so like in one sense, this book is an acid trip, mm-hmm. but it's also an emotional trip as well, a mental, a mental mm-hmm. journey, mm-hmm. quite an adventure. Yes. yes. <laughs> so where we last left our heroes... They had finished the Council of Elrond, which I think was called the Great Caucus in this book. Um, And they go off on their journey. And eventually their path leads them to uh, what's essentially Moria. And they are about to, they're like standing there waiting for uh, Good Gulf to solve the the riddle on the door and, you know, say the secret passage, the the secret words to unlock it. On the uh, door, the inscription, by the way, says, I won't read the full thing because it's kind of not all of it is funny, but it it, it ends with, um, it says, um, secondly, I shall endeavor at all times and in all places to keep my nose clean by the most expedient possible means. Third and finally, I shall always exercise the utmost care to keep my hands to myself. <laughs> and then, it, oh, wait, sorry. It starts off with, firstly, that's, that was the part I wanted to read. Um, I shall constrain myself to mind my own business. <laughs> pretend, pretend that was the part I read. That was the, that was the part that I thought was the funniest. Is that like this inscription was like, I will mind my own business. <laughs> Maybe some of my neighbors should read that, right? Yes, right. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, this would be a great inscription too. And I think, I guess that's, you know, kind of the joke that it's, what um, that it was getting at of like people coming and like being annoying and knocking on this door. And it's like, mind your business and keep your hands to yourself. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and they are attacked by a monster called a thesaurus. And I just thought this was funny because like <laughs> I, I am a writer by trade. Uh-huh. And so like words are always going to be interesting to me, you know, so I just thought it was funny. They're attacked by a thesaurus um, and he roars, maim, mutilate, mangle, crush, 
see harm. Uh, and he later says, eatable, said the giant creature between munches, edible, esculent, com- uh, comestible, see food. Uh, so I appreciated just that, like, I don't know, random touch of. So that, see, that's the kind of thing that like that could be in like a kid's book, you know, Yeah. like, oh, like, look, it's a thesaurus, uh, you know, uh, a dinosaur or whatever. Yeah. Um, and all he does is say, you know, words that are synonyms. Honestly, like I'm I studied journalism in college. So like I was always looking up in like whatever word synonym in Google mm-hmm. to like mm-hmm. try to figure out another word for it. So like this kind of humor is like like chef's oh kiss my God. to me. It's, you know um, what I mean? <laughs> yes. I am kind of embarrassed. I like I would be absolutely humil- humiliated if uh my managers at work ever like if my search history on my work computer got out, not because I'm looking up anything bad, but because I'm like <laughs> I am a professional copywriter and I'm looking up like uh synonyms for good. <laughs> and, and because I like my brain is broken and like I can't think of anything or because like I've used the same word a million times yeah. and like yeah so I would just be so embarrassed if they were like you use a thesaurus a lot do you know what words are <laughs> hey sometimes your brain is just broken you know so they are forced into Moria and uh as they're like traveling through it says that there it it makes us joke that it's like, it was so quiet, like there was no sound at all. Only the sound of the sinister pattering of following footsteps, the heavy breathing of North Koreans, the rattle of gumball machines, and the other hurly-burly of deep, dark places. So in actuality, they could hear a lot of sounds. <laughs> um, but no, no, most notable was the sinister patter of following footsteps, because this uh, is something that happens in this chapter in Fellowship of the Ring, it notes that it's like Frodo thought he could hear the sound of like big bare feet slapping against the wet stone and like it's Gollum following them. But here, you know, it's kind of like, huh, that's weird. Do you hear anything? And it's like, no, only the sinister sound of following footsteps. Nothing to worry about here. Yeah. Um, They are... A group of terrible adventurers, as we have learned a a little bit from from the Great Caucus and as we will see throughout the rest of this book, um, they're absolutely terrible adventurers. They're bickering and fighting. Bromosel Boromir says, let's let's split up. Pepsi says, I've twisted my ankle. Arrowroot says, whatever you do, don't make a sound. And then Moxie immediately sneezes really loudly. (laughs) And then Arrowroot says, whatever happens, we must keep a close watch. And then the next line says, the company fell asleep. (laughs) They're doing real great. They're doing great, sweetie. Like, (laughs) also, you've probably talked about this on other episodes, but just the names. Oh, yeah. Like Moxie and Pepsi, like, like tickle my funny bones so much. Yeah, they're (laughs) uh, very silly and very ridiculous, Um, which, again, is kind of like, a lot of these names could just be, we'll see it like a bit when a couple other characters come in, but some of them are like, suppose, are like a commentary on like, 
uh, on like consumerism because Spam, Frito, Moxie, and Pepsi are all um, food products or drink products and brands and stuff. Um, And then like later on, a character comes in where it's like, oh, it's just like a silly play on this character's original name from the book, you know? So it's like... (laughs) Anything ranging from like, this is a commentary on, you know, blah, 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 to nah, this is just silly. We're just being silly. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They wake up and they hear the sound of a drum beat. And they're like, that's not good. So they're like, it's time to leave. Arrowroot says, let's go to the right. And Bromocell says, let's go to the left. Which way do you think they should go, Josh? Based on, like, who is saying to go which direction. So Aragorn, who in this universe is a terrible ranger. Okay. And then Bromocell, who is Boromir. (laughs) Boromir is saying to go left and Aragorn is saying to go right. Probably Arrowroot because he's like the leader, I guess. But like, <laughs> that's a that's a <laughs> like, good uh, that's a good decision because upon closer examination, the left way proved to be lacking a floor for some forty feet. Oh God! <laughs> so Bromocell was like, "Let's go to the left," and it's a cliff, <laughs> like stray drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go that way. <laughs> yes. So they uh, run away, run away. And eventually they are faced, they are face to face with a creature holding, uh, he's holding a huge black globe and on his chest written in cruel runes, it says Villanova. And then Legolam shouts, a ball hog. And I'm not a sports person, but I was like, yeah, I was like, is this a sports reference? He's a bas- It's like a basketball player. <laughs> Stop! I can't. And Villanova is, you know, the the team is. Uh, I was like, I'm pretty sure Villanova is a real like, yeah. you know, college and basketball team, isn't that? And so, like, I did Google search. Yes, that is a real. <laughs> the answer thing. is yes. <laughs> Very fitting. This is about as close as I'll ever get to doing like March Madness content. Right. <laughs> Perfect timing. Great job, yes. Mary Clay. It's not the Balrog. It's a ball hog. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> anyway. So they all run across a bridge and they're all fighting him. And then Good Gulf turns around to continue the fight. Um, but unfortunately, they are forced to break the bridge and drop Good Gulf and the ball hog down into the abyss. Rip. Rest in peace, Good Gulf. So they make it out of Moria and they uh, head towards Lorna Dune, Lothorian or Lorian. While they're on their way, Legolas tells this like really long story about um, like the the history of this river that they're walking by. And this story has like a bunch of really ridiculous elf names and they're all like interconnected with like various relationships and stuff. And Frito says, a sad story. Is it true? No, said like a lamb. And then he says, there's a song too. And he sings a full song about it as well. Stop. <laughs> then they are crossing the river and Bromosil says, this is indeed a queer river as the water lapped at his thighs. <laughs> yeah, 
that's an appropriate reaction. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, It's just kind of like, that's so... It's such a ridiculous sentence. Yeah. So I uh, believe at this point, you know, seven as I'm 70 pages into this dumb book, (laughs) they are, I believe that they are making fun of the amount of times that Tolkien used the word queer. In his writing, he used it in the sense of like weird, strange, different, you know. Um, but every time they use it, they do kind of use it to to mean that same meaning of like, oh, that's kind of weird. But it does have like a double entendre of like, oh, it's a little gay. (laughs) (laughs) Also, just the idea that a river can be, you know, sentient. Right. <laughs> so they make it to what did I call it? Lorna Dune. <laughs> and I for, like I forgot all the names of everything. Um as they're entering the forest it says come to the fabulous elf village, visit the snake farm, don't miss Santa's workshop and help keep our forest <laughs> enchanted. <laughs> Uh, we'll see kind of like that theme of like, oh, this is like a, um, I don't know, like a national park or like a theme park or something. Right. We'll actually see that uh, crop up again in a bit. So they make it into Lorna Dune where they meet Cellophane and the Lady Lavalier. So this is uh, Celeborn and Galadriel. I don't know why they didn't attempt a pun a silly name on galadriel they Maybe. just like cross it out and said lady lavalier i looked it up and La- uh lavalier is a a type of jewelry or a jewelry brand okay um and that's all i got <laughs> <laughs> maybe they just ran out of steam toward the end and they were just like you know what <laughs> <laughs> yeah just like whatever just say, whatever yeah. just say, look, you look. actually Let's That's just make a commentary. So <laughs> yeah, actually, you might not be f- off base there because some of the other names that come in, I'm like, that does kind of seem like you gave up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Throughout so far, there has been a running gag of um, the meals that they eat. And it starts off with being like, after a meager breakfast of like milk and honey. And then the next time <laughs> it's like after a quick meal of like uh, waffles and sausage and then this says, after a hasty meal of frankincense and myrrh. So it just kind of gets steadily more ridiculous for people who are like on a quest. And also, right. I don't think you can eat frankincense and myrrh. <laughs> That's what they bring to baby Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was like what is What? <laughs> I love that. But it's like those little... Um, it's just like such a throwaway joke of like the focus of like this sentence is not the joke of the meal it is like the way that like it's constructed. And they do that like se- several times where like the way the book is written is that like there are these jokes that they just like gloss over immediately and like that's not the focus. And that's almost what makes it funny is that right. they're like, oh, yeah, this is totally, you know, like this isn't the joke. This is the joke, but you laugh at something ridiculous that they just like acted as totally normal, you know? Yeah, I feel like it's such a dry humor, kind mm-hmm. of. Yes, exactly. Which, which I connect to a lot because I, I love mm-hmm. things like Archer, or like Bob's Burgers and stuff that have that oh like gosh, kind yes. of like uh, chef's kiss, like dry humor bullshit <laughs> that just... uh it's great. It. Yeah, I love it. I love it as well. So they go to bed and the 
as they're sleeping, the Lady Lavalier comes and wakes up Frito and takes him to the Bath of Lavalier. So this is the mirror of Galadriel scene. And he looks inside and at first they see a picture of a man squirting something into his nose. Commercials, said Lavalier irritably. (laughs) Um, And then (laughs) they see the actual like vision that the bath is (laughs) meant to tell. It shows scenes of elves and dwarves dancing in the street, wild revels in Minestrone, happy debauches in the sty, a large bronze statue of Sorehead being melted into tie clips, and finally Frito himself sitting on a pile of costume jewelry and smiling broadly. This bodes well, declared Lavalier. She, and he's like, oh my God, this is such great news. And she says, the bath of Lavalier never lies. So she escorts him away and back to sleep. The surface of the basin remained black for a while, then flickered and showed the triumphant reception of the RMS Titanic in the New York Harbor. The repayment of the French war debt and then a reference that I don't understand. But the first two I can get of like the bath of lavalier (laughs) showing things that absolutely will not happen. Yeah, like the complete opposite. (laughs) Opposite. Exactly. Love that. (laughs) <laughs> um, I I just liked, you know, it showed the triumphant reception of the RMS Titanic in the New York Harbor. <laughs> and like, meanwhile, Frito's like, oh, my God, I can't believe everything's going to be fine. <laughs> everything's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I believe this would be what AP English teachers everywhere would call dramatic irony, which mm, is when mm-hmm. the reader or the viewer knows something that the characters do not. And so obviously, in our case, we know that the Titanic did not make it to New York. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> There's this long paragraph describing... um the morning in Lorna Dune and like what these various elves are doing and like one of them is singing and and like this long description and it then it says in other words it was morning <laughs> as they are making their way down the river towards Fordor it notes that <laughs> Uh, Frito looks over at Bromocell and notices for the first time that there is a large blotch of lamb's blood on the warrior's forehead, a large chalk X on his back, and a black spot the size of a doubloon on his cheek. A huge, rather menacing vulture was sitting on his left shoulder. So it does not seem that Bromocell has um, any good omens, you know, hanging over him. (laughs) You know, this like heavy handed foreshadowing that like, oh, man, (laughs) something's going to happen to him soon, you know. (laughs) Um, But I love the image of like a vulture is just sitting on his shoulder, (laughs) sitting behind him. (laughs) What could that mean? (laughs) Yeah. Like the the Grim Reapers in the boat too. I mean, like <laughs> exactly like that. Actually, that would have been a really good joke as well. If like the Grim Reaper, like you know, was leading the boat, and right. rowing it or something, you know, or like they looked across the river and saw the Grim Reaper yeah. fishing, you know, something like that. <laughs> they are traveling up the river, and then eventually they are, they are attacked by narks. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever talked about that explicitly yet about how the orcs in this universe are called narcs (laughs) (laughs) and also bearing in mind that this was written in the 60s 
And this was written kind of like as a result or for there was like this big counterculture movement that were really huge fans of Lord of the Rings when it was first published. And they kind of like took up this story like for their own movements and stuff. Right. Um, And so the fact that like the orcs are called narcs is just like... (laughs) Fantastic. So good. Yeah, so they are attacked. Spam and Frito make it in a boat across the river. Um, Moxie and Pepsi are picked up by the narcs, and they believe that they have the ring, so they carry them away and take them off. And then Bromocell starts sprinting after them, but catching his feet in his sword belt, he tripped and impaled himself on his pointed shoes. (gasps) (laughs) Ye doom is come true, he groaned. Oh, tell the last... He says some nonsense. Uh, Then noisily shaking a large rattle, he expired. (laughs) So that is the death of uh, Boromir slash Bromocell, is that uh, he's wearing these like ridiculous pointed shoes and falls and impales himself (laughs) on them. (laughs) Oh, God, what a terrible way to die from your own freaking clumsiness. Like... Good lord. Your own shoes. Yeah. Also, how pointy were those shoes? Yeah, like it very pointy, obviously. Is it like one of those shoes that like you you like twitch your foot or whatever and like a switchblade comes out, you know, in like spy Ooh, movies? Yeah, maybe. Yes. <laughs> That's what I imagined. <laughs> I was like, God damn. <laughs> like, good yes. Good idea. I like that idea. I think that would be very uh very on brand for like this character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Frito and Spam, you know, safely make make it off on their own. Then for the next three days, Arrowroot, Gimlet, and Legolam uh chase after the narcs trying to find Moxie and Pepsi. Pausing their relentless chase only for food, drink, sleep, a few hands of pinochle, and a couple of sightseeing detours. <laughs> also, as they are traveling, Gimlet and Legolam are continuing to bicker because, unfortunately, listeners, in this version of the story, Gimlet and Legolam do not become BFFs. Their uh, prejudices against the other race cannot be overcome in this story. So they are bickering with each other constantly and calling each other names, trying to fight. And Arrowroot has to jump in and separate them. It says the ranger drew his peacemaker and the fight ended as quickly as it began. For even dwarves and elves do not relish a shiv in the back. So Arrowroot's just carrying around a shiv. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) <laughs> then they run into the Roy Tanners from Roy Tan, R-O-I hyphen T-A-N. I'm going to actually, I'm going to look this up and see if this is supposed to be like a reference to something um, or if it's just like, I don't know, them being dumb. <laughs> it could be both. <laughs> oh, it's a, okay, there we go. It's an old, uh, it's an old brand of cigars. Oh. So. There we go. So the Roy Tanners, who in this universe are Rohan and the Rohirrim, they come strolling up on sheep. Their animal of choice to ride around the countryside in battle are sheep. (laughs) Great. And the leader steps off their steed. And that's when we see that it's a woman. What? What? (laughs) I legitimately was shocked wow because 
I mean, here we are recording on International Women's Day, um, and I always love to uh, talk about um, how many uh, chef's kiss. wonderful female characters there are in Lord of the Rings. Of course, a bit facetiously, because there's like three of them, you know. <laughs> so I was I was stunned that this uh, captain of Rohan that the authors decided that instead of it being um, in the books, it's Aomer, but they decided to make this essentially Eowyn. And so it's a woman. Yay! Yay. It's a win for womankind everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it did kind of make me start thinking like, you know what? Why couldn't Tolkien have just written... Eowyn is their, you know, captain in chief. Like you don't really, you really do not need Eomer in the story at all. He doesn't do like anything for the plot that another character couldn't do also. So I'm like, right. that would have been a really cool move. But uh, the Board of the Rings writers decided to to take that chance where Tolkien did not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'd love to see it. So her name is Eorake. <laughs> which is meant to be a play on the word earache. This is one of those names that I was mentioning earlier about like they kind of just started doing like whatever silly name came to mind. Right. Because this one I was like, eh, it's whatever. I was a little bit confused at first about what it was supposed to mean. Um, and then later it mentions her father, Eordrum. <laughs> I was like, okay, it is supposed to be like earache and eardrum. Yeah. Um. So Eorake hops off. All of the Roy Tanners, by the way, speak in this like I don't I don't know like what accent they were going for. I think they were just going for like an amalgamation of like a bunch of like foreign accents and stuff at once. Oh gosh. Because she hops off and says, There is you going, und what are you doing here when you are not to being here in der first place? There you ist. So it's all kind of written like that. And sometimes reading it, I'm like, I don't know what you said. (laughs) So I'm just going to skim over that part. Um, So like German, maybe, you know, Eastern Uh, European potentially, you know. Yeah, a lot of that sounded German. Uh, Well, I mean, the accent you put on definitely helped with that. But (laughs) yeah. um, Germans listening, please don't come for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Comment down below. Let us know if it sounded anything like it. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So moving on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, Arrowroot immediately falls in love with her and of is course. enamored by her. And I this is I this is my favorite move that this book makes compared to Lord of the Rings because it's this re- like total reversal of a situation where in the books Eowyn has uh it's not as evident in the books as it is in the movies but like definitely Mm -hmm. in the movies Eowyn is in love with Aragorn and it's very much like one-sided but here Arrowroot immediately is like fawning over her it mentions that he bows before her um kisses the ground she walks on and then starts buffing her boots homeboy is a simp like (laughs) um so this is when he truly becomes like he's reaching like prime himbo status you know Mm, we love a good himbo like we love to see it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. they say that 
they're looking for their friends. They're looking for a band of narcs. And the Roy Tanners say that uh, they ran into a band of narcs the previous night, but didn't see their friends. So then they asked them if they would accompany them. They're going to confront Saratan, who is Saruman. Um, <laughs> and they're going to, you know, like finally confront him and have this battle out with him. And so Arrowroot, Gimlet, and Legolam join the Roy Tanners and they start headed in the direction of Isenglass. Backing up a bit, on Moxie and Pepsi's side of the story, they have been tied up, they're captured by the narcs, and they're being interrogated, being asked, where's the ring? And finally they say, uh, okay, well, we'll tell you, but I need you to untie me first. And so they're like, okay. So they untie, <laughs> they untie them, and then they say, oh, and bring, you know, bring that torch over here. I can't see. Oh, can I have your sword? I'm gonna draw you a map in the dirt. <laughs> um, and then eventually, Pepsi fights up, fights back against the narc, and is able to free himself and Moxie. And they run into the forest as the Roy Tanners are attacking the the band of narcs behind them. So they escape and they run into a broad pastel. They, uh, they run into a bright green giant who has a broad uh, a broad green pastel. Wait, what? A broad pastel green. What am I? Pa, pa, what? What's the? <laughs> what what is happening? What happened? <laughs> what is the say? I'm like putting the wrong emphasis on the word. Pa, pa, it's not pastel. 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 Oh my god! Jesus <laughs> Christ! Pastel. <laughs> Holy cow! I was like like a light color. Oh my gosh! Okay. Oh man. <laughs> Starting all that over. Jesus Christ. So they run into the forest and they run in and they find this green giant and he laughs jolly at them and picks them up and they notice that the giant was naked save for a parsley g-string and a few cabbage and a few cabbage leaves in his feather cut locks. In each great hand was a package of frozen string beans, Stop. and across his chest, a green ba- banner proclaimed, today's special five cents off all creamed corn. So this is the Jolly Giant. I mean, not the Jolly Giant. What's his name? The Green Giant. Yeah, the Jolly Green Giant. Who I think is called like the Jolly Green Giant. Mm-hmm. That's it, yeah. Yeah. Um, who is the the mascot for like a brand of vegetables. <laughs> My God. <laughs> um, his name is called Bird's Eye, and he is Lord of the V8s. Stop. Get it? V8. <laughs> and I think Bird's Eye is also another. Is it a thing? I think it's another brand of frozen vegetables or like canned vegetables or something. I remember seeing it on the shelf. I, I That's think. That's so silly. Yeah. And he immediately starts making a bunch of vegetable puns and is like, let us go. Um, and Moxie and Pepsi are acting like they're being tortured, like every time he, you know, makes a pun. And he learns from them that they are enemies of Saratan. Bird's Eye says, like, oh, well, we also hate Saratan, so let's, you know, team up together and work to defeat him. So then they, uh, tr- you know, trod off so Bird's Eye can gather together the rest of the V8s. Stop. <laughs> 
The rest of our gang uh, are still traveling with the Roy Tanners. It's, you know, harsh going. Legolam and Gimlet are snapping at each other all the time. It's it's not a fun, it's not a fun time. Then Legolam says, isn't it about time for a deus ex machina? And then suddenly there was a loud pop and a bright burst of light that momentarily blinded the shocked three. And our pal, Good Golf, reappears. <laughs> So uh, through the swirling confetti, they saw a shining figure dressed in all white, brushing the twigs and dirt off his spotless bell bottoms and gleaming go-go boots. Above the white Nehru jacket, I meant to look that up. Let me look that up first because it must be a brand of something. But I just want to paint the picture of like what he is wearing because it's really ridiculous is a okay a, ne- a Nehru jacket a Nehru jacket is a hip length tailored coat for men or women oh, okay looks like it's um popular in like Asian fashion and Asian countries I guess anyway so he's wearing this ridiculous outfit all in white now um and they're like you're alive oh my god that's amazing please tell us what happened the the chapter ends with it trailing off it says well once out of the pit dot 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 and then it ends and then you start the next chapter and it's like the next morning they were still reeling over good golf's incredible story (laughs) so also kind of making fun of sometimes when tolkien would just like gloss over important details when you're like how did this happen can you explain that further um and he'd be like no No, actually no (laughs) (laughs) you know what um the description of good golf's outfit (laughs) reminded me of um are, are you familiar with X-Men characters at all? I am not, but there's a good chance someone listening will be. Okay. Well, there's a character named Dazzler who is basically like a pop star. And uh, her inner... In, yeah, in her introduction, she's like in this like white jumpsuit. And it's essentially like just what you described. Bell bottoms, go-go boots, all of that. I'll send you a picture after we're done. But it, that kind <laughs> of reminded me of that. Um, it also kind of reminds me of when, like, any time in Harry Potter, the wizards have to, like, try and dress up as muggles. And they, like, don't really have mm-hmm. any sense of, like, what regular non-magic people wear so they wear a lot of like different muggle clothing items but things that like don't necessarily go together Um, (laughs) and that's what it seems this wardrobe is right (laughs) so yes last night they were amazed by all of these tales that good golf was telling them tales obvious to all as a pack of preposterous lies (laughs) they know whatever you know tale he spun is not true but they just you know let him have his moment very embellished (laughs) so now they head off towards eyes and glass and they make it and they see that saratan has turned it into saratan land and it appears to be some kind of a parody. Uh, I, again, another thing I, me- I meant to look up before is like when Disneyland and Disney World came about. Mm. Um, because this definitely appears to be a parody of Disneyland because the mascot is Dickie Dragon. Stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm looking up Disneyland opening day. I know it was sometime in, uh, it was sometime around, this was published in 1969. 
And I know that Disneyland was sometime around like the early 70s or something, or at least Disney World. Um, Disneyland was 1955. Let me look up Disney World. So yeah, so Disneyland did definitely exist. This is also a great dig on Walt Disney himself, because one of the things that Tolkien stipulated is that he does not want Lord of the Rings or any of his works to end up being owned by Walt Disney. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like even back then. Damn. That Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's like the gist of that. Um, I, I don't remember like the exact details, but it if, if it was like, oh, this is in his will or if it's just like something that he openly complained about when he was alive. I don't I don't remember the details, but it's something he, oh, he like Tolkien did not want Walt Disney to be adapting Lord of the Rings or any of his works. Wow. That's insane. And uh Disney World Disney World opening day was in October of 1971, so there's a good chance that there was like rumblings about okay, Disney yeah. World opening up Disney when they World wrote this. Disney World coming up too, yeah. Yeah. So, but they definitely, they knew about like this, you know, mm-hmm. monopoly that like Mickey Mouse and Disney and Walt Disney have on the world yeah. at this point. <laughs> so playing a lot, you know, a lot of like poking fun at that with Sarutan Land. Oh, by the way, and I might not be saying it correctly, but Sarutan or Saritan um, is a brand of laxatives. <laughs> I I saw that before we hopped on and I was like, that seems accurate. Mm -hmm. So they're looking around. It's like surrounded by this moat and Aor, uh, Aor, what Aor, Ake, Aor, Ake. That was it. I couldn't remember how I was saying it earlier. Aor, Ake decides, she says, um, we need some Dunkoff to draw their attention while we attack from the rear. We need some idiot, some dummy to go and distract them and we'll attack from the other side. She paused and looked slyly at the love-struck ranger out of the corner of her eye. <laughs> it's so perfect. It's really, really great. This like little sub- subplot in this book of like, Aragorn is in love with Eowyn and she just thinks he's this like, you know, doting idiot, <laughs> which he is. <laughs> it's giving Fred from Scooby-Doo a little bit, you know? Like, he's just I like... I don't know, because I think Fred Jones is smarter than Arrowroot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, At that's least true. he's a part of the mystery gang solving mysteries, you know? That's true, that's true. He always comes up with the plan, you know? Yeah, so, I don't m- think Arrowroot would accomplish that true. if he was a part of the mystery gang. True. Yeah. So Arrowroot goes down towards Sarutan land and like immediately trips and falls into the moat and he starts like drowning. And so <laughs> Aorake kind of like sighs and goes down and saves him. And then <laughs> so he she like scoops him up and then she just stands up because the water in the moat is just like two feet tall. Stop. <laughs> and then as she's like giving him like CPR or something, you know, whatever, as she's saving him, she sees that there is the the symbol of the royal crown of Tudor embroidered on his clothes. This is when she learns that Arrowroot is the true king of Tudor. 
and she kind of starts to come around on him and return some of his feelings at this point. Mm. Um, then ranks upon ranks of huge warlike vegetables were massing towards Saratan land, led by monument led by a monumental creature. So the V8s and Moxie and Pepsi come down and they destroy Saratan land. <laughs> and they use like, the, it's like really long vivid descriptions of like all the different ways that like these sentient giant vegetables are attacking. Eventually the like narcs and everything that have been there, all of Saratan's henchmen, they're, you know, dispersed. And they try to get Saratan to come down and talk to them and listen or whatever. He tries to sweet talk them into making a business deal and giving away like, you know, like sharing business partnership in Saratan land as a way to like compromise with them. Uh huh. <laughs> um and like at first they're all kind of like hypnotized by it because this is something in the book as well that like Saruman's voice has this magical like lilting effect on people mm-hmm. and people are just kind of like naturally swayed by him but I love that in this sense he's like a sleazy businessman yeah <laughs> it does not work and he is like throwing a temper tantrum in the midst he throws down this orb that Pepsi picks up and then Good Golf later takes from him. They leave the V8s to stay behind and take guard over uh, over Isinglass and watch Saratan. And then Good Golf lays out this plan to everyone else and says like, okay, you guys are going to go to this city and you guys are going to go here and there and we're all going to... Um, get our own reinforcements, and we're going to go to Minas Troni and meet there together so that we can, you know, have this final battle with Sorehead. By the way, I don't know if I've said it before yet, but Sauron's name in this story is Sorehead. (laughs) So he, like, is, you know, giving out orders, laying out this plan, and then Gimlet says, a hundred words without a punchline. The old croc must be sick. <laughs> they say goodbye to the V8s. And as they are rolling off, this is one of the more wild things. Um, as they're like waving goodbye, two young carrots waved their greens after the boggies and jumped hopefully up and down upon their dainty tap roots, somewhat hindered by already noticeable swellings in their middles. Moxie and Pepsi had not been idle since Good Gulf had seen them last. So this is the implication that Moxie and Pepsi impregnated two carrots. <gasps> is there even yeah. a word for this? No. Like... <laughs> Because it's like, you can't even say like bestiality because it's... Oh, God. Carrots. Yeah, so moving on. Yeah. Good Golf and Moxie. Uh, that's all that is to say about that. Oh, it's just no. like stunned. That was my exact reaction, by the way, as well. Oh. I was like... <laughs> uh, I don't know if you're on TikTok or not, but there was a sound that's like, the bitch was too stunned to speak. And that's yes. Me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's me. I'm the bitch. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, so Moxie, Goodgolf, and Pepsi are heading toward Minas Troni. And while they're sleeping, Pepsi goes and picks up that orb that Sarton had thrown down. Goodgolf explains this is, this is a dangerous tool called a Malomar. <laughs> um, and Sorehead uses it to watch over everyone and spy on people. And then Goodgolf is like, let's see if we can use it now. And he does this really long spell and they're waiting with anticipation. And then he asks if they will succeed or if they will fail. They read the answer. Reply hazy, ask again later. (laughs) It's a magic eight ball. So this universe's version of the Palantir is a magic eight ball. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Moving now to... (laughs) Spam and Fritos side of the story. They are making their way towards Fordor when suddenly Gotham finds them and joins in and kind of like just starts following them. And Fritos like, I don't trust you. I'm very confused why you're here. What's happening? Um, but he proves himself useful in guiding them towards Fordor. And helps them, like, find certain paths and stuff. One day, they wake up and they are surrounded by... They're called the Green Toupees. (laughs) I tried looking this up and I did not find anything. So this might be another instance where they maybe just gave up. Just ran out of steam, I guess. (laughs) So they meet the captain of the Green Toupees. And his name is Ferrislax. This is... Faramir, who is my favorite character in the world. (laughs) They threaten them and say like what their purpose is. And then Frito and Spam explain that they are on their way to Fordor to destroy the ring. And then Ferrislax lets them go after learning this detail. And it's very random. And it's like, what was the point of that encounter? (laughs) But it happened. Real quick. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) We find out that Gotham has been leading them towards schlob's lair so schlob um a a long time ago before sorehead was evil he fell in love with a woman named um mazola they have a lovely marriage together and she bears him nine strapping wraiths and then one day sorehead learns about the great ring and he pulls all of his sons from medical school <laughs> and enlists them as his nozdrul. And then they leave Mazola and she, this is when it gets misogynistic, right? Mm. Um, mm. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's been, there's been hints of misogyny throughout, but this is when it's like mm, nice and clear. Um, so she puts on weight um, and becomes really bitter and now banished to her drab surroundings in the bowels of Sol Horok, let her hatred grow and fester. Schlob, she was now called. Oh, no. <laughs> she, excess- she obsessively stuffs herself with bonbons, movie magazines, and an occasional spelunker. <laughs> so she has become this, this creature, a, sh- a-, a slob, a schlob. And this is where... Gotham has been leading Frito and Spam. So they realize what's happening and they start running away. 
right as a group of orcs on patrol, sorry, a group of narcs on patrol (laughs) finds them. And so they're starting to get closed in and they're being cornered. Schlob comes in shrieking, wash behind your ears. You never take me anywhere. The best years of my life I gave you. So those are all of her like uh, attack shrieks and noises and stuff. Oh boy. Um, so, <laughs> so she essentially became, you know, like a giant caricature of like a nagging wife. <laughs> right. Oh God. <laughs> then uh, the like last memory that Frito has is it, it kind of like, it, it, like fades to black as Spam frantically sprays in, uh, in Lorna Dune. He was given as a gift, a can of insect repellent. And now he is frantically spraying it into Schlob's face. And so it kind of like fades to black there. Finally, we get to like the battle of Minas Troni and this like climactic battle. Good Gulf, Moxie, and Pepsi arrive in Minas Troni. It's described, it's really funny because like this is a parody book, but the way it describes Minas Tirith, Minas Troni (laughs) is exactly how I pictured it when I was reading Lord of the Rings. And it's designed like a giant seven-tiered cake. (laughs) The funny thing is that like, that's exactly what I was picturing when I was reading the non-parody book. (laughs) Uh, which is like a giant cake (laughs) with like a bunch of tears and then the parody book also describes that um so i was like maybe i pictured something wrong with the original reading or you were onto something like (laughs) yeah maybe yeah oh actually there's something coming up that we'll talk about related to that actually (laughs) they go up to see the steward um, we find out there's this like very shady history in Minas Troni of who was taking, uh, of like who is in charge. And it goes back to this like one day when like the king mysteriously died. And then like slowly but surely the rest of the kings and other people in the line of the kings started like dying off or disappearing. And then it's like, that's so weird. Anyway, um, hey, do you want to be the steward? And this guy was like, yeah. So <laughs> that's how the stewards came to be in power. They go to see Benelux, the current steward of Minas Troni. He refuses to do anything about the the impeding darkness raining down upon them. And he's like, I'm late. He's really lazy and like kind of slob, slob, Bish. Is that a word? Yeah. Slobby. (laughs) What's a word for being a slob? Yeah, I I think slobbish is probably the appropriate term there. (laughs) Okay, cool. Great. Um, But like he's really lazy and apathetic. And so he's not going to do anything about it. Um, And then Pipsy and Moxie are talking with Good Gulf later. And they're like, he definitely just did not seem to be right in the head. And then they're like, yeah, he seemed like almost a little bit psychotic. And then Good Gulf goes, you're right. He does seem a little psychotic. Interesting you bring that up. He said, and then he's like, I bet he's got suicidal psychoses, self-destructive, textbook case. Suicidal, said Pepsi with surprise. How do you say that? It's just a hunch, said Good Gulf. And then the next paragraph, the news of old steward's suicide that evening stirred the city. <laughs> so good golf straight up committed murder. Oh, man. <laughs> um, so he staged the suicide of Benelux. 
Um, and he takes charge of Minas Troni. And he starts preparing everyone for war, but he kind of seems to really be enjoying like this leadership role and kind of also forgets what's happening. And Moxie and Pepsi go in to talk to him one day. And he's like, don't you worry. I'm telling you, Swordhead is not going to attack right now. It's probably going to be a bit. Let's wait for reinforcements to come. Trust me, wizards know many things. <laughs> the surprise attack at dawn the next day caught everyone in Minas Troni by surprise. <laughs> I just imagine like something out of Family Guy, like, you know, just like the jump cut of like the like cutaways. Yes, cutaways. That was the, that was the word I was looking for. The little cutaways mm-hmm. of like, oh, now they're attacking. Here we are. Yeah, like just hard cut, you know, like, trust me, a wizard knows what he is talking about. Hard cut to them being attacked. Mm-hmm, Absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the battle rages on. It's not going well. They're feeling very hopeless. Finally, Good Gulf says, bring me my white robes and quickly. Ah, cried Pepsi, white robes for white magic. No, said Good Gulf, white robes for a white flag. (laughs) So he starts waving it in surrender. Oh, no. Right as our reinforcements show up. So all this time, Gimlet has been rallying the dwarves. Aorake has been rallying the rest of Roytan. Legolam has been rallying a group of interior designers. <laughs> and Arrowroot shows up with four war badgers and a cranky cub scout. <laughs> I don't know. It's just random, you know? It's random. But anyway. They, they like, succeed nonetheless. They win the day. <laughs> it, it has, like, all these descriptions of, like, what each specific character is doing. And Arrowroot was probably doing something or other that was very much brave. When later questioned about the battle, however, he usually went rather vague. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he's just hiding in a corner, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. So the battle ends, they win, they're all like, you know, gathering together and trying to, you know, regroup and figure out who has what injuries. Ferrislax has lost uh, four toes and suffered a gash across the tummy, (laughs) is what it says. Uh, Everyone else has like varying injuries as well, but like nothing is really that serious. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Good Golf says uh, to Arrowroot, he's like, oh, this is Ferrislax, the true heir to the stewardship of Tudor. Aorake this whole time has also been like talking to Ferrislax and kind of like connecting with him a bit. Um, So Arrowroot's starting to feel a little threatened and he suggests that everyone go to the Houses of Healing where he will heal them. So he puts on a doctor's coat and a plastic stethoscope, (laughs) starts like trying to tend to the patients because this is what happens in the book, actually, is that Aragorn is the healer. And he sends Ferrislax into his like own private room and is like, don't worry, I'll come and tend to you in a bit. Um, So everyone else goes off to the feast and Arrowroot and Ferrislax are still in the houses of healing. 
everyone else is having a great time at the party, all that jazz. Um, and then they realize like, oh, that's weird. Arrowroot and Ferrislax have been gone for a while. <laughs> then the doors of the banquet hall flew open and a bloodstained, disheveled figure appeared. And Arrowroot shows up. He's covered in blood. And they say, where's Ferrislax? And he says, Ferrislax is no more. I tried mightily to heal his wounds, but it was in vain. They're like, I don't get it. He was fine. <laughs> what happened? What did you do? And he says, uh, he had terminal abrasions and contusions with complications. His cuticles were completely severed, poor soul. Never had a chance. And then Legolim is like, I swear, he only had like a bump on the head. And he says, I... To the untrained eye, it was just a bump on the head, um, but that bump was fatal. I was forced to amputate. Amputate his head or? <laughs> like... Yeah. <laughs> so now Arrowroot has committed murder. Oh, great. <laughs> doing great. We're, we're doing great. Murder, murder. So um, obviously I'm very disappointed in this outcome because like I said, Faramir is my favorite character and in the book, Faramir and Eowyn actually end up together as a couple. Um, and so that's kind of what was hinted at here is that he comes to the battle. He and Eorake connect. I don't even think it's a connect. It's meant to be like, oh, is there something there? I think it was literally like she talked to him mm -hmm. and finds mm -hmm. out that like he's supposed to be the like new steward of Tudor. And then Arrowroot just feels threatened and kills him. <laughs> I'm going to just take care of this. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, like, mm, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and the whole time, Ferris Lax was like, I don't understand what's happening. Yeah, what just happened? <laughs> Finally, everyone is like, well, if you're really the king, aren't you supposed to be helping us against the threat of Sorehead? Like, we have to go and defeat Sorehead. And so he's like, Fine. <laughs> we'll go fight. We'll go fight the evil guy. Um. So the next day, everyone heads out. Most people are either drunk or hungover, and Gimlet is like, "I hope no one sobers up before we get there, because then everyone will just like run away." <laughs> Very iconic moment in the movie, right before the like final battle, Aragorn gives that speech and he's like, I've, I see in your eyes the very fear that strikes the hearts of men and like all that stuff. And is like, and in the books, he says something about like, if you really do not want to die, if you like have something to live for, I give you permission. Like if this is just too much, I give you permission to go back home and in the book, like, no one really leaves, you know, because they're all there to fight the good fight. They love Aragorn. They're cool to rally behind him. So Arrowroot gives essentially the same speech. He says, those who ride with the king of Tudor will live forever in song and legend. The rest may go. It is said that the dust cloud did not settle for many days after. Uh <laughs> okay, so now we are back to spam and frito and got him it is the climax um this is the the part that we'll read that was close indeed said spam still shaking from their narrow escape from she from schlob a few days before frito nodded feebly but still could not really piece together what had happened when I first read that, I was very confused and thought that I had skipped a chapter or something um, or, or, you know, that I had skipped a page. No, this is just their funny way of being like, 
And they escaped. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Things worked out. <laughs> Before them, the great salt flats of Fordor stretched to the feet of a giant molehill, which held Bardal, the high-rise headquarters of Sorehead. The wide plain was dotted with barracks, parade grounds, and motor pools. Thousands of narcs were, swar- were swarming frantically, digging holes and filling them up again and polishing the dusty ground with enormous buffers. Far in the distance, the Zazu pits, the black hole, spewed the sooty remains of a hundred years of National Geographics into the air over Fordor. Right before them, at the foot of the cliff, a thick black pool of tar bubbled noisily from time to time emitting a heavy belch. So wordy of a description. Um, <laughs> Frito stood for a long time, peering out from under his fingers at the distant smoking volcano. It's many a hard kilo to the black hole, he said, fingering the ring. No lie, bo- what is it? Bo- I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Banana? I don't, I don't know. I, I was like, what? No lie, Buana, yeah. said Spam. This near tar pit has a certain hole like flavor, said Frito. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea what this exchange is about. Round, agreed Spam. Open, deep, dark, added Frito. Black said Spam. Frito took the ring from round his neck and twirled it absently at the end of its chain. Careful, Mr. Frito, said Spam, reigning a series of hitsies. Hitsies? <laughs> not, not hitsies. So like, like a little, fr- like little fr- like, taps. Like, just like hitting, yeah. <laughs> but like not hard, you know? Oh, God. Um, Indeed, said Frito, flinging the ring in the air and Oh, definitely catching it behind his back. Okay, I, I see it, now. it. Yeah, I'm doing, doing great. I'm, I'm great. I'm <laughs> Very risky, Spam said, and picking up a large stone, he threw it into the center of the tar pit where it sank with a wet glop. Pity we have no weight to anchor it safely to the bottom, said Frito, swinging the chain over his head. Accidents can happen. Just in case, said Spam, searching vainly in his pack for some heavy object. A dead weight, a sinker, he muttered. Hello, said a gray lump behind them. Long time no see. Got him, old shoe, crooned Spam, and dropped a coin at Gotham's feet. Small world, said Frodo, as he palmed the ring and clapped the surprised creature on the back. Look, cried Frito, pointing to an empty sky, the winged victory of Samothrace. And as Gotham turned to see, Frito looped the chain over his neck. Holla, cried, wait. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's not, I know it's not. Holla, holla. I'm sure it's more like, like, oh, look at that. You know, like, hello, holla, (laughs) whatever. Uh, Cried Spam, a 1927 Indian head nickel. And dropped his hands and knees in front of Gotham. Whoops, said Frito. Ah, added Gotham. Floop, suggested the tar pit. 
I had to read that section a couple times to be like, what the yeah, fuck it took me a bit. Um, essentially, they did like the very like almost like a Three Stooges act of like uh, Spam gets on the floor to like trip up Gotham, and then Frito distracts him enough, and they end up like pushing him over and tripping him, and he falls into this you know tar pit with the ring, thus destroying it. So it turns out this was actually very similar to something that Tolkien had written in early drafts of Lord of the Rings. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Of just, like, them tricking Gollum into, like, falling into the pit. (laughs) And so it's like, wow, so the writers, like, this is a dumb, this is a dumb book. It's a dumb book, you know. Uh, Moxie and Peppy impregnated carrots. It's stupid. But... (laughs) They also were not that far off from what Tolkien himself was thinking. Yeah. Well, isn't there like a note somewhere like I I was kind of looking at the Wikipedia page for this book and it seems like like Tolkien was kind of almost a parody of himself sometimes just the way that he would write and stuff. So like Oh, for so sure. So like this book while it is very much like you said a ridiculous parody, it is it's not that like far off from how Tolkien actually wrote. Yes. Absolutely. You are not like you are not wrong there. So they destroy the ring. Yay! Woo! But then like the universe, you know, starts imploding and they're freaking out. Then just over their heads, they saw a passing flash of color. There in the sky they saw a giant eagle, full feathered and painted shocking pink. <laughs> On its side were the words Deus Ex Machina Airlines in metallic gold. Love it. Frodo yelped at, as the great bird swooped low and snatched them both from death with, with its rubberized talons. Names Guano, said the eagle as they climbed sharply away from the disintegrating land. Find a seat. And then they get taken off and, and fly away to safety. The glorious army that drew up before the Black Gate numbered somewhat less than the original thousands. <laughs> it numbered seven, to be exact. Seven. <laughs> A whole seven. And it might have been less had not... Merinos. Th- those are the sheep. <laughs> I, it took me a oh, bit. Oh, got it. Got it, got it. Yeah, it's just another <laughs> word for sheep. It took me several reads to be like, oh, right, sheep. Oh, right, yes. Uh, finally bolted for freedom out from under their riders. <laughs> Cautiously, Arrowroot looked upon the Black Gate to Fordor. It was many times a man in height and painted a flashy red. Both halves were labeled out. They will issue from here, Arrowroot explained. Let us unfurl our bab- our battle standard. Dutifully, Goodgall fitted together his cue and attached the white cloth. <laughs> not, not the surrender already. <laughs> but that is not our standard, said Arrowroot. Bets, said Gimlet. Better sore head than no head, said Goodgall as he bent his sword. Into a plowshare. What's a plowshare? No clue. Okay. I was like, am I stupid? Do I should no. I know what that is? No. Um, <laughs> suddenly Arrowroot's eyes bugged. Lo, he cried. 
Black flags were raised in the black towers and the gate opened like an angry maw to upchuck its evil spew. Out poured an army the likes of which was never seen. Forth from the gate burst a hundred thousand rabid narcs swinging bicycle chains and tire irons, followed by <laughs> drooling divisions of pop-eyed changelings, deranged zombies, and distempered and distempered werewolves. At their shoulders marched eight score heavily ar- heavily armored griffins, three thousand goose-stepping mummies, and a column of abominable snowmen on motorized bobsleds. <sighs> At their flanks tramped six companies of slavering ghouls, eighty marched vampires in white tie, and the Phantom of the Opera. Above them, the sky was blackened by the dark shapes of vicious pelicans, houseflies the size of two-car garages, and Rodan, the flying monster. (laughs) Through the portals streamed more foes of various forms and descriptions, including a six-legged Diplocodus, the Loch Ness Monster, King Kong, Godzilla, the creature from the Black Lagoon, the beast with a thousand with a million eyes, the brain from Planet Auros, three different subphyla of giant of giant insects, the thing, it, she, them, and the blob. <laughs> the great tumult of their charge could have waked the dead. Were they not already bringing up the rear? Lo, worn stomper, the enemy approaches. Goodgulf gripped his cue with an iron hand as the others huddled around him in a last shivering tableau before the fiendish onslaught. They going bye-bye, <laughs> Eric said, uh, as she crushed Arrowroot in a sweet final embrace. Farewell, squeaked Arrowroot. We will die, heroes. Perhaps, sobbed Moxie, we shall meet in better lands than this. Wouldn't be difficult, agreed Pepsi, as he made out his will. (laughs) (laughs) So long, shrimp, Legolam said to Gimlet. Be seeing ya, creep, replied the dwarf. Lo, exclaimed Arrowroot, rising from his knees. If he says that once more, said Gimlet, I'll croak him myself. But all eyes followed the Ranger King's shaking pinky. Why is he pointing with, with his their pinky? Yeah, I was <laughs> like, why is he pointing with his pinky? He's just a silly, goofy boy. Oh, man. <laughs> the sky was filling with a bright puce smog. And there came in a great wind a blatting noise similar to that made by certain rings when they give up the ghost. The black ranks wavered in their march, stopped and began to fidget. Suddenly, cries of anguish were heard from above, and black pelicans fell from the sky, their black riders desperately struggling with ripcords. Boy, that, <laughs> that this entire paragraph is so wordy. Uh, the, the, narcs, <laughs> the narc hordes shrieked, threw down their tire irons, and hot-footed it toward the open gate. But as the narcs and their scaly allies turned back to safety, they were changed as if by magic into pillars of garlic. (laughs) The terrible army had vanished, and all that remained were a few white mice and a soggy pumpkin. (laughs) The the pillars of garlic, that would have been a great time for the vegetables to come in again. Right, that's what I thought was going to happen. The garlic and vegetables, that would have been great, yeah. So Soreheads army is no more, cried Arrowroot. So it was made or wait. 
I'm having trouble reading tonight. It's, it's fine. okay. It's so it was that the great ring was unmade and Sorehead's power destroyed forever. Arrowroot of Arrow Shirt and Aoric soon were wedded. And the old wizard prophesied that eight monocled and helmeted offspring would soon be smashing the palace furniture. <laughs> Pleased by this, the king made Good Gulf wizard without portfolio to the newly conquered Fordorian lands and gave him a fat expense account to be voided only if he ever decided to set foot back in Tudor. To Gimlet the Dwarf, Arrowroot granted a scrap metal franchise on Sorehead on Sorehead's surplus war engines. <laughs> to Legolam, he granted the right to rename Chicken New Duel Ringland and run the souvenir concession at the Zazu pits. Lastly, to the four boggies, he gave the royal handshake and one-way tickets aboard Guano back to the sty. <laughs> of Sorehead, little was heard again, though if he returned, Arrowroot promised him full amnesty and an executive position in Two Doors Defense Labs. <laughs> Of the ball hog and schlob, little was ever little was heard either. But local gossips reported that wedding bells were only centuries away. Oh man! Fantastic. So then the boggies go back to Bug End. Frito gets back to his home and sits down and has you know. Uh, returns to his life. One of the boggies on his way home says, uh, like, where have you been? Like, what do you think you're doing? And Frito's like, I just saved the world. (laughs) The other boggies like, great. (laughs) Congratulations. Good job. Could not have cared. Could not, (laughs) could, could not care less. So he's relaxing in his home. And then he hears a knock on the door and he goes and answers the door. There on the stoop were 23 lyre-strumming nymphs in gauzy pantsuits couched in a golden canoe borne on the cool mists of a hundred fire extinguishers and crewed by a dozen tipsy leprechauns uniformed in shimmery midday blouses fringed with torrid, uh, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Facing Frito was a 12-foot specter shrouded in red satin. Um, Around him fluttered winged frogs, miniature Valkyries, and an airborne catechus. (laughs) The tall figure offered Frito a six-fingered hand, which held a curiously inscribed identification bracelet, simply crawling with mysterious portents. I understand that you undertake quests. Frito banged the door shut in the specter's surprised face, bolted, barred, and locked it, swallowing the key for good measure. Then he walked directly to his cozy fire and slumped in the chair. He began to muse upon the years of delicious boredom that lay ahead. Perhaps he would take up Scrabble. <laughs> the end. Yay. Yay. <laughs> what a silly, stupid book. What are your final thoughts on all of that? Uh, you know, especially that like kind of ending thing where it's talking about all the like leprechauns and, you know, weird shit happening. And then, you know, naming every 
single like horror movie <laughs> uh, yeah all of the entities. different like, monsters coming yeah. out of the black gate yeah yeah it was giving very much like frame Roger rabbit like just smashing mm. all of these things together to try to you just feel like like we said you're on like an acid trip or like you're just like what am i watching right now <laughs> What is yes. happening? <laughs> why why am I why am I potentially wasting my time doing this? But it's like at the end you're like See you you ask yourself that you only wasted um you know an hour and a half of your time right. uh, on this. <laughs> I've wasted now three weeks of my life. Hey. <laughs> this is like prime content right here. You know what I mean? Uh right, right. Please tell that to all the people who are like, you should do the seven volume history of Middle Earth series. And I'm like, no. I'm doing Board of the Rings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is very important stuff we're talking about. Very important literature. Should be required reading for every high schooler. It should be a part of exactly. like the AP English exactly. exams across the country. Yes. Yes. Well, Josh. Thank you for coming on and again for wasting an hour and a half of your life talking about possibly the dumbest thing that I've ever experienced thus far. Um, <laughs> do uh, Where can people find you on the internet? Well, uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, it wasn't wasted time for me, just for the record. I enjoyed every <laughs> minute of it. Um, well, you can find me on the Super Scary Podcast, uh, where we are at Super Scary Podcast on all of the socials. Um, you can also email me at superscarypodcast at gmail.com if you like what we do and you want to suggest horror movies for me to watch. Awesome. Yes. And like I said at the start of the show, I will be on soon. You and I need to talk offline, by the way, to figure out a, a good yes. date for us to record that. Um, but I'm excited to come on. I'm excited to talk about the show that I really love. Um, and if you like you know, horror elements and everything. There's lots more to check out on the rest of his podcast. So go check all of that out. It will be linked in the episode description. That's what I'm talking about. Cover art is by Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishon Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash pod. You can follow the podcast on social media at TolkienAboutPod. And you can follow me on Twitter at MCWhatsUp and on Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. If you want to support the podcast, you can become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the different levels of support that are available. You can join the shout out tier and become a sponsor of the podcast like Steph. Steph, thank you for your support of That's What I'm Talking About. I appreciate it. And uh, I love doing, uh, I liked what I did last week where I did like the the classic PBS, you know, this programming is made possible by viewers like you. Thank you. And then you're sitting there as an eight-year-old child watching Dragon Tales being like, yeah, I did make Dragon Tales possible. So Steph, this programming was made possible by listeners like you. Thank you. Josh, do you have any parting words for the audience? I was trying to think of something witty f that we just read to reference, and I don't really know what we've read just now. So um, I think I'll just <laughs> just leave it at that. <laughs> Let's end it with um. What what was that line that <laughs> that spam says? Holla, yeah, holla, <laughs> no no lie, Buana, whatever the fuck that means. Oh. <laughs> And that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs>